everyone. I'm Paul Musto, and welcome to Siemens Startups, a podcast series where we speak with startup entrepreneurs to get an insight on how they turn great innovative ideas into successful companies. In this episode, we are speaking to Elevate Dynamics, an inspirational medical device startup company innovating a major improvement for AFOs. Okay, if you don't know what an AFO is, we have just the person who can explain it. From Elevate Dynamics, we have Kelly McGee, VP of Engineering and Design. And as we will hear, Kelly has an interesting background leading to his work at Elevate, something like taking an Apple design approach to AFOs. So uh, before we jump in, please let me know what you think of this episode. You can leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or email me at paul.musto at siemens.com. So Kelly, thank you for joining us today. Before we get going, please introduce yourself and uh, give us a little bit of a background on you. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, thanks so much for having us and giving us the opportunity to chat with you and the Siemens team. Uh, Yeah, I'm Kelly McGee. I'm the co-founder and VP of Engineering and Design at Elevate. We're a small healthcare product company, but really we consider ourselves to be a small and pretty nimble design team. We've got a bunch of talented folks from the traditional medical device industry mixed together with some pretty bright minds from the Silicon Valley. And I think that DNA has allowed us to really work together super hard every day to think differently about how devices are designed and manufactured. But really, at the end of the day, our our goal is pretty simple. We're here to create beautifully crafted products that empower people to get up and move every day. We just think that people take for granted the ability to you know, do the simple things in life, like move and walk. And we know that by empowering people to be able to move even more, we can reduce their comorbidities and other things that could lead to further health complications. And so we believe a healthier world is one that involves people that are moving more and more every day. So that's what kind of gets us up and out of bed. That's fantastic. Actually, leading up to this, when I was looking out at the products that are out there, there is something special about your Elevate products that they do look beautiful and they look almost artworkish in a way that they're still functional. So um, yeah, I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but since you mentioned, I wanted to kind of give you those kudos because I think it's just amazing when I see products like this. And I guess, you know, that kind of leads to my first question about you and your background. You have an engineering degree from MIT in mechanical design and product design, and then you worked at Apple as a product design engineer. So this is a pretty big jump or departure from those kinds of environments or worlds, or maybe not. Uh, So how did you come to this? It's funny that you say it's a departure from electronics, because I think for me, it doesn't really matter what at least I'm working on personally. And I think I, I share the same mentality with a lot of folks on our team, but it's about sort of what impact it has, right? I think when I was at Apple, you know, I was just really honored to work on such amazing products that has such a far reach. But for me, I think in my career, thinking about how I can take the experience that I've had and fundamentals and skills that I've been able to garner and kind of apply that to products that have a bigger impact on people, I think is what drives me every day. And so, you know, I've always been a creative and artistic person. And to me, engineering has been a way to bring to life some of that creativity in the form of something physical. You know, I've just kind of got maybe a pretty opinionated mind on really well-designed products. And I think that's what led me to Apple. I just have a deep respect for Apple's approach to design and the creativity that they bake into all the products that they do. And you can see it in why their customers are so loyal. I was just really lucky to be able to see during my time there what makes them so special and why the design process allowed their products to create that loyalty with their customers. 
and how they're able to manufacture at such an incredible scale and repeat that experience that they bring to their users with each and every product, even when they're making it on the orders of millions of units every year. That's awesome. So I guess when I left Apple, I was kind of planning to go back to school and touch on some of those creative roots and hopefully get back to the artistic side. And I wanted to get a graduate degree in industrial design, but some things change. Uh, and you know, sometimes you just have to let, let the uh, rotation of the earth, if you will, take you on a different path. And I was just spending a lot of time coming up with product concepts and working my portfolio and got reconnected to uh, an old uh, coworker of mine, Dan Meiji, who's one of our co-founders. And he's just a really brilliant and really smart entrepreneur. And he was just starting to uncover sort of the world of orthopedics and orthopedic bracing specifically and how it's so different from the tech world that we're from, right? And I'm sure, Paul, you've talked with other people from the tech world and not sure how much you've dove into healthcare or medical devices, but seeing the contrast of those is is just different from not only the product at the, the end of the day and how it's designed, but the development process as well. Like, I was just shocked to see that it's taken a lot of these companies, especially in orthopedics, you know, multiple years to, to get a product to market. And for myself, thinking about how every fall, everyone's just waiting for that iPhone to come out. And there's an expectation that it comes out every year. So how can that company bring a product to market in a year where it's taking companies that are building far less complex products much longer to bring a product to market? When I started looking at that and looking into the approach to design and sort of maybe the lack of human-centered approach that some folks in this industry are, have taken over the past you know decades that it's been around, um, made me think, well, maybe there's a big opportunity here for someone like myself and others on my team like me to kind of come in and, and maybe ruffle a little feathers, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, not to make it an Apple advertising, but we all own a ton of Apple stuff probably. And I'm an electronics guy. So my background is 30 years of electronics. And so I've always been kind of enamored by that. But they brought that whole package together, right? And it's fascinating talking to somebody like yourself from a design product design perspective, right? And looking at it from the functionality, the ergonomics of the product and the, the that a- aspect of it is is fantastic. So thank you for sharing all of that. That's amazing. So I guess the first question, I mentioned this in my intro and I kind of left it open, but maybe you can explain to us what an AFO is, what it stands for, and a little bit of history here as to where it's going. It's funny, we were just talking to our marketing team about maybe not leading with the word AFO so much in our marketing material, because not many people know what an AFO is. Um, maybe we need to work on explaining what that is uh, before using the acronym. So so an AFO is is just an acronym for an ankle foot orthosis. Basically, it's just a name for a brace that sort of spans between your foot and your ankle that improves your walking pattern by supporting weak muscles. So it can be used to improve gait or improve the way that someone walks for those with indications or conditions that cause neuromuscular issues, but it also can be used for those with deformities in their lower extremities or abnormalities that may cause you know their foot to be in a certain direction or in a plane that might be different than normal. When we talked earlier, you talked about the fact that it's a lot more common than most people even recognize. So I had never heard about drop foot until we spoke, but give us a little bit of insight into how, how pervasive this is. And it's funny because I think I asked you last time we spoke, Paul, uh, you know, after describing it, I I think I mentioned, you know, once you kind of learn about it, you probably will run into someone with it or meet someone on the street. So I don't know if you since last time we've talked, you've you've been watching people's feet or anything or I'm curious to see if you've run into anyone yet. 
So I haven't run into anybody, but not many people have known what it was, but they, they have heard of the, the syndrome where, where people's foot drops and, you know, the scrapes and causes you to trip. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I think um, everyone on our team has become a little bit foot obsessed, which is kind of odd because now we're all walking down the sidewalk looking at how people walk and, you know, <laughs> pointing out to ourselves, at least, you know, when someone's wearing an AFO. But it's a pretty common condition. AFOs are used to treat drop foot and drop foot is actually way more common than you would think. It, it can be caused from various neurodegenerative disorders such as multiple sclerosis, MS, cerebral palsy, or even a stroke. Stroke is you know, probably one of the largest populations that, that we deal with and that we try to focus on because unfortunately in, in the world today, there's just been a rise in the amount of strokes that are happening due to just various reasons with people's health and maybe you know, nutritional approaches uh, that you know, our populations are taking today. But as you see a rise in strokes, you're going to see a rise in drop foot because what happens as a result of some of these neurodegenerative disorders is that you have a, a nerve like right below your knee um, called the perennial nerve. And that's what drives your foot to lift up. It's what's called dorsiflexion or sort of flexing your foot towards your shin. And when you walk, I mean, we don't think about it because it's automatic. When you walk, every step you take, your foot is dorsiflexing up during that gait pattern. And so when you're not able to do that, your foot drops out, hence the name drop foot. And it basically causes you to have this risk of potentially dragging your toe and, and falling. And that risk could lead to you know worse conditions for that patient, right? It could lead to other comorbidities or even a higher, it's what's scientifically known as a higher risk of morbidity without you know, wearing a brace or another product to treat it. So what you'll find is either folks on the street that are hiking up their leg and have what's called like a steppage gait, or you'll find people that are wearing an AFO. And so that AFO is helping to lift their foot when they're walking and give them sort of that more normal gait cycle so that they're able to walk normally again. So hopefully everybody that's listening has already gone onto the web and, and uh, Googled AFO and Elevate Dynamics and saw what it is. I mean, it's a fairly, I don't want to say a simple device because I'm sure there's a lot to it, but it's a, a very elegant device in terms of what it does and how it supports the foot. Definitely. And, and we're not really reinventing the wheel too much in terms of how biomechanically the product works. We're definitely changing things from a material standpoint, of course, and that's having a big impact on just having that more natural gait. But AFOs have been around for decades. And since the early 70s is when some of the modern AFO designs were implemented. And some of the designs that you see today are very similar to that, you know, sort of 1970s design. And I think that's the niche that we are looking into is, is seeing that really these haven't changed a ton since then. And so, you know, how can a bunch of interesting minds that uh, wanted to take a design thinking perspective completely think differently about the problem and, and and try to improve upon that product that hasn't been touched in a while. Yeah. So that leads me to kind of that next question is, so how did Elevate come in on this particular application? Well, Dropfoot is a pretty interesting segment of the orthopedic market and maybe not one that a lot of orthopedic companies that have product portfolios across different extremities or different areas of the body focus on. There's a, you know, a couple key players and they do a fantastic job and have helped so many people be able to walk and move better today. And, and Arnie Thor, one of our co-founders, who I would consider is truly a wizard uh, in the orthopedic industry from a product design perspective, has has always really been interested in this space. And so when I when I met Arnie at the inception of Elevate, he really wanted to make a solution that wasn't just for the clinicians 
or just for the patients, but really focused on the needs and desires of both. And I think that's really the ethos of how we approach product development is we're hoping to create a product that is so focused on the end user that it's not just made for one person, it's made for the you know multiple people that touch it. And when you're making a medical device, you're not just making it for the patient, you're also making it for the clinician who fits that on the patient or has to stock it in their inventory or has to you know mold or modify the product for that patient when it's prescribed. So one of the things I love to do is to read uh, companies' mission statements. And, you know, I'm going to ask you how you came to this and, and, and what it really means to elevate. It's the mission statement is we are empowering people to move by redefining how healthcare products are designed, manufactured, and delivered. Were those your words? <laughs> are those my words? Maybe. They might be. Uh, we've got a pretty savvy marketing team. So, but what's funny is that, you know, I think that you're your mission statement can be just marketing. But for us, it's truly it's truly yeah. what we're actually here to do. Like we, we try to say our mission statement should be about what we're on this earth to do. I was really passionate at Apple about the products that I was working on, but I always felt like the world could definitely could deserve another iPad or the best of what have you. Um, but really that if you could do something that's greater, that they're, you know, you're solving larger problems that people are, are burdened with, then maybe we're putting product design to an even greater use. And so our, our mission statement really is around movement, right? I think we spoke on it a little bit before, but we believe that if you're able to move more, you're able to live a healthier and happier life. And unfortunately, folks with drop foot specifically, as sort of our starting place for Elevate, is those patients without the right product or without having a better understanding of the right product for themselves are not able to move as much. And you find that a lot of patients end up living a less healthy lifestyle. They'll be more sedentary or they'll move less. And so our goal is to really empower those people to get out and move and see the benefits in their own lives and their relationships and their mental health through being an active person. And we think that we can do that through sort of those three areas that you touched on, which is design, manufacturing, and delivery. So in design, you know, we're really trying to bring a fresh and new perspective in, into this industry of design thinking and combining folks with a diversity of backgrounds and diversity of thought into the same room to think about all the different features and product decisions that we make. From a manufacturing standpoint, we don't work with contract manufacturers. It's kind of just our at the, the center of our supply chain ethos. We just really want to ensure the highest quality for our end customers and our end users. And we want them to believe in us as a company and make sure that when they're using our product every day, they know that it's going to stand by our brand and that it's going to perform as we you know, prescribe it to. For that reason alone, you know, we, we make sure that we really own the relationships with all of our vendors, everything from the screws that are in the product to the fabrics that are used. And lastly is understanding how that product's actually delivered. How does the clinician actually give that product to you? And what's that experience like? How are you interacting with the clinician? What box, what packaging does it come in? And how does that create a completely different experience for you so that you have a different approach to what this product will mean for you in your daily life? Honestly, when I went to your website and I look at it and I look at the products and it embodies that. It embodies everything you just said about how passionate you guys are about doing what you're doing and how beautiful the design is. And I said it earlier. I mean, it's there's almost kind of this artistic feel to it, right? I was going to ask you about the competition, but you kind of touched on it. But if you go on the, online and you do a search for this stuff, you see all kinds of devices, many of them just very crude, 
or limiting in their ability to, to enable people to move and, and to really be free. And, and so this product is, it's lightweight, it's unobtrusive, I guess, or unintrusive, and it allows people to, it looks like it's just, it's part of their body in a sense, right? It kind of molds well with their body. So Kelly, congratulations. I hear that there's, uh, you recently signed a partnership with SPS. You want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. SPS is one of the largest distributors of orthopedic medical products in the U.S., and they're an amazing partner for us. And we're just really honored to be able to sell our product through them and the parent company in, in Hanger Clinic, um, which is the largest network of orthotic and prosthetic clinics in the country. Basically, it allows us to have a deeper connection to our end users, which is really critical for us in designing a product. As I mentioned, you know, our design process is a little bit different than everyone else. And we spend hundreds and hundreds of hours talking to patients and clinicians to truly understand their needs. And we want to know what frustrates them. What is it about their condition or the products that they use today that they don't like? What are their preferences? And we ask crazy questions like, what brands do they like? What stores do they shop at? Are they iPhone or Android people? While those seem kind of like superfluous questions to ask, for us, they actually make a big difference in terms of how we choose colors, how we choose materials, how we choose curvature and how things look. And it's crazy to think about how those connections relate. But for us, you know, they really do make sense from a user experience standpoint. And so our partnership with SPS not only allows us to have a massive distribution arm to be able to get our products to people that really do need them and doing it ourselves would be so hard to reach across the country and be able to get our products in the hands of the folks that really need them every day. But it allows us to connect with our clinicians and and users so that we can continue our research and improve upon our products, but also help for our future product development. That's fantastic. And congratulations again. And it kind of leads me to the next question around how does something like that take shape? I think for our audience, many entrepreneurs or companies in a, in a very early stage, they struggle with that, right? How do they get their products recognized and accepted and to get to that point where now they can move into a large kind of partnership or deal arrangement with a big provider within that industry segment? I have to say that we have a fabulous business development team and folks with great great networks and great relationships that have led a lot to that partnership with SPS. But I'd say a lot of it is luck as well. <laughs> um, you know, you got you got to be a little lucky, I'm sure, because they're they're taking a chance on us, of course. And you know, I think for any entrepreneur out there, it's really hard to get people to take a chance on you, whether that's from a funding standpoint and getting an investor and convincing them to invest in your company. Or it's, you know, from a product in, into the market standpoint. How are you going to get a distributor to agree to take on this product when you're only a couple people and you've got sort of no name for yourself, right? And so there, there is some trust there, but I think a lot of it comes from our just engineering rigor. Our team spends a lot of time on these products and a ton of time testing and focusing on reliability and quality. And I think in terms of showing that rigor to our partners, we're able to build that trust and know that really the product is going to be better for their patients and clinicians at the end of the day. And that's really what they want from their mission, right? They want to be able to easily distribute the best products in the market so that they can empower people to you know, live a better life as well. See, it wasn't luck. It was the passion that your team had and the design approach that it took that led to the success. But it is hard, no matter what I've seen. I've talked to a lot of startup companies and it's difficult, right? Even with great technology and great products, it's very tough 
to be a new entrance in a in a well-established industry, right? So kudos to your team. I think it's been one of our greatest challenges too, you know, is, you know, how do you build a brand and a name in an industry with lots of incumbents and lots of folks that have been around for a long time? We're definitely the new kid on the block and in the spirit of the Silicon Valley, we're definitely the folks that are just tinkering in a garage, if you will. Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> we've grown grown quite a bit since then, but we were the folks that were tinkering in a garage. So how do you put a brand next to that and have folks trust it? And that's been a really hard thing. And, and we're still working on that and still trying to build the trust of our users and clinicians and folks that use our competitors' products because they do make great products as well. But we just need to sort of do a, a, a better job explaining what makes us great and, and why people should be wearing our product instead. Well, this is the wonder of startups, right? I mean, you've raised the bar in an area that has well-established players already. And so when you go on to even SBS's website and you look at all the, the various products that address the same area, I look at Elevate's products stand out. They really do. Amazing. So so going back to the, to the earlier stages of your company, I'm actually not even sure how old Elevate is. So two and a half years. That's a little while. It takes some time, right? To to get that breakthrough, right? I would say it's, you know, one of those things where it's like, it's felt like an extremely long time, like an eternity and a nanosecond at the same time, probably because we're just working like crazy. But, you know, it doesn't really feel like work when you're so passionate about it. And I think a lot of our team feels that way. And you had COVID to help you out, right? That did help. Yeah, I think uh, companies are getting a lot out of their employees these days with them at home, working maybe a little bit longer than they would, or maybe adding those commute hours back into their desk hours. But that's for a a different discussion. Did it have any impact to productivity? You know, it's funny. We were a fully remote team before the health crisis that's come upon us. And it was interesting to be a mechanical engineering based company that is remote. You would say, okay, we're starting a company and we're going to make a product. We need to have a lab. We need to have a space. And when we were thinking about our initial culture as a company, we wanted to build the company that we wanted to work for. And that involved flexibility and balance and trying to find a way to not only work on you know what you're passionate about at work, but also be able to balance a family and balance life outside of work. And so that has always been sort of the core of our culture. But COVID didn't really change a lot for that of that for us. We're just really good customers of FedEx and UPS, and we yeah. ship each other a lot of stuff. And we now have offices in in San Diego and San Francisco, which allows us to get together our teams there, you know, a couple times a week to meet face to face and work through physical prototypes and designs and testing. But we've been able to do a lot from home, so, so it didn't really change a lot for us. I have to ask, how did you get to Siemens, or how did you come to Siemens? I am a little bit biased because many of our folks on our engineering team um, come from companies that have used Siemens before. And so when we were thinking about which CAD software we're going to use and and how we're going to actually execute our product development from a technical standpoint, it just seemed like the natural choice. But for us, you know, that's not really an easy decision as a startup. There's a lot of great CAD software out there. And, you know, I think while we're all used to and understood the advantages of Siemens and why so many big companies that we all used to work for in our previous lives had had used it, there's a barrier to entry on, on cost, right? You just have to be cautious of how you're spending money in, in a small company. And I think one of the biggest things that was the decision maker for us, which you know was an easy one, is the startup program through Siemens. You know, that allowed us to reduce that barrier to entry and be able to work with the highest 
tier package of NX and Team Center and Mach 3 and, and the variety of different add-ons that we were you know, given through that package so that we could be completely unhindered to be able to develop our product. And it's been fantastic for us so far. And it's allowed for our team to not only work seamlessly remotely, but it's allowed for us to continue with a program that we all know how to use already and not have to learn something that maybe not is not as powerful just because of cost. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And it's great to hear that it offered your team the ability to get access to these products. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. This is a fairly new program. So glad that your company has been able to take advantage of that. So what's in the future for Elevate from a business perspective, from a product perspective, from a technology perspective? What can you share, I guess, is maybe a, also part of the question. <laughs> you may not be able to share everything. From a business perspective, you know, we are just trying to expand as much as we can to get our product into as many hands or I guess onto as many feet as possible in the coming year here. We've got a lot of great products in our pipeline that we're working on and developing with our you know, partners here in the U.S. and abroad. We're excited to not only work to become a respected brand within the world of Dropfoot and, and build a community of of patients and clinicians that respect and you know are passionate about our products as, as much as we are and the way that we're approaching it from a quality and reliability and sustainability standpoint. But we're looking to see how that how the foundations of, of what we're building as a company can be expanded into different categories within healthcare. There's a lot to be done um, within medical devices and within the healthcare product industry. And so we think that you know, the foundations of how we're approaching it we'll be able to have great correlations to other extremities that we want to work on or even other categories outside of orthopedics in the future. That's fantastic. Do you ever see making the big leap into full prosthetics? Maybe. It's possible. Prosthetics is a pretty pretty complicated space uh, with a lot of folks. For us, you know, we really feel that the next category that we want to go into, we need to ensure that we feel like we can be the best at it. If we don't feel like we can be the best, then it's just not worth it. And there's been so many great innovations within different categories like prosthetics that we'd have to really think really hard if we can bring something different to the table there. We digress a little bit, but my neighbor is a very young, their daughter, very young woman, lost her leg and she's going to the Paralympics in August in Tokyo. So pretty talented young lady. But the prosthetics that she has, she if you saw her walking down the street, she looks completely natural and doesn't it's just amazing how far they've come. Yeah, the materials and engineering that they've done there is 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 fabulous. Yeah, it was all carbon fiber and it's just amazing. So we have to ask you, so uh, we have hopefully a lot of budding entrepreneurs uh, listening to this today. Do you have any parting words for them or words of wisdom that you give to give them in, in their efforts to move their company forward? I mean, I'm a big proponent of hard work. I think that nothing, nothing good comes without some good, uh, good hard work and elbow grease, if you will. And our team definitely knows that. And, and I'm just really proud of them for all the efforts and, and hours that they put in to make the company into what it is today and, and put the products on the market that we've done today. But I think for other entrepreneurs, I would say really is to stay focused I think there's a lot of noise when you're starting a company. And I think there's a lot of people that will tell you to go in a different direction and you should definitely take good advice, but you should understand why you started it in the first place. You should definitely think about your competitors getting into your head and you should think about, you know, even your family maybe telling you that, I don't know how this is going to work out. 
if you can stay true to why you started in the first place, I think that sort of fire and ambition will keep driving you forward. But at the same time, I think my second point of advice would just be always find good product market fit. I think that's always been a really important one for us is really do your research and really make sure that you know that there's a space in this world for your product if you're making something physical and make sure that someone's going to really want it and that's going to make an impact on them. If you can make a product that someone's truly passionate about, that they can organically want to tell their friends about, you know, a product that, you know, when you get stopped on the street, you're like, oh yeah, like that, this is exactly what this brand is and, and you should go try it too. I mean, that's really when you know you've made something great. And that's what I think everyone should strive to, to be as a brand um, when they're starting something from the ground up. That's amazing. That's fantastic. It's unfortunate in a podcast, you can't see anybody because the passion that comes through when you speak is, is amazing and inspirational. So it's just really good lighting. It's just really good zoom, <laughs> zoom lighting. Yep. Yeah. It's the zoom call. So we'll kind of end it here, Kelly. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending the time with us today and to give us an education on what AFO is and to talk about elevate and talk about the, the approach that elevate is used in and actually a segment uh, or a category, as you re- referred to it as, that has other companies incumbents. I almost think that, you know, there's another lesson to be learned that even in industry segments that have incumbents in your area, there's a way to do it better and, and different, right? So it's amazing what Elevate has done in this space and uh, look forward to what you guys do in the future and hopefully are part of that and keep in touch and, and through that entire experience. Definitely. We always say that if we uh, if we get lazy, there will be another person in a studio apartment somewhere that will be trying to out elevate, elevate. So that's kind of written on the wall, if you will, to keep us hungry. You can always bank on that in this, <laughs> in this world, right? So you can always bank that there's somebody going to be knocking on your door. So you always got to stay that one step ahead, right? So no question about it. I want to thank everybody for listening to today's podcasts. We understand that getting a startup off the ground is not an easy endeavor and is extraordinarily challenging. Siemens wants to help you through the journey, and uh, we offer special packaging and pricing to help you out in many areas of our software portfolio. So you can come visit us at www.siemens.com slash software for startups. This is Paul Musto, and thank you for listening to our Siemens podcast. Again, please let me know what you think of this episode by leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or email me directly at paul.musto at siemens.com. And remember, innovation has no boundaries. Thank you very much, everybody.